0: Just the best literature. Well, hello again. Thanks for listening in today. With me in the studio, always, is my producer, Mr. Dan Arnfeld. Good afternoon, Dan. Hello. It's good to be with you. Now, for today's program, I want to make some final comments on Chapter 11. And then, if there is time, I want to start Chapter 12 And chapter 12 is titled The Tira Expedition. So it's going to be more, uh, that has to do a lot more with uh, some more military action in India. So let's begin today. I want to uh, begin on page 136. And I I think this is uh, really very, very interesting. And uh, um, I, I really enjoyed reading it. And I think there's a lot to it that I think all of you out there listening in will um uh will really enjoy and then sorry there's no comments today i'm getting more comments on shakespeare's english kings so maybe you need to start listening to that one too and uh that that uh that's always really exciting but i'm sure i'll get a few comments on this now the way i've titled this one this this page i usually write all over my books anyway but but uh, I'm titling the page the march into Momand County now th- th- it's it's interesting the the, the words that's there it is Momand County so that's the land name but the the tribes that you have in there they're called the Mamluns and so there's there's Momand and then there's the Mamluns now just to say, from the very beginning, the Mammons are not like the Pathans, and uh, uh, Winston goes. He, he says it right, very from the beginning. He says the Mammons are a pestilential tribe, <laughs> which means they're very annoying. <laughs> and so, so if if you get the chance, get online, and again look up the Pathans. And they're really a cultured people. And then look up the pestilential tribe, <laughs> the Mammons. And uh, they're right on the border of Pakistan. So it's Afghanistan and Pakistan. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through this. So, so anyway, these are the pestilential tribe. Now, one, one thing that, that he, he makes it, it really clear on this, in this chapter is that the Mammons were full of human nature. I'm sure the Pathans are too, uh, just like any tribe or any person. We're all full of human nature, but but he he, uh, he again. I just think he, in some ways, he's he's uh, being funny, in other ways, he's just being really smart and telling us, hey, we all have human nature. We got to get rid of it. So, this is the very top of the page, I guess not very, very top, but it's it. in my book there's uh, five stars, and then this this starts and it says, on our march to the Moman county country, let us pass the mouth of the Mammon Valley. This valley is a pan shaped plain nearly ten miles broad. No dispute existed between us and the Mammons and so so he's saying, look that there wasn't." Uh, as many troubles here as there may have been with the, the the pathons, but he goes on to say their reputation was pestilential, or it's very annoying, and the greatest care was taken to leave them alone. But the spectacle of the camp, with its beautifully ruled lines of shelters against the sun, with its cluster of hospital tents. And multitudes of horses, camels, mules, and donkeys was too much for the mamelons. So, so if you remember now, uh, Sir Bendin blood was taking in a whole force of army into this area. And so they've got camels, they've got horses, they've got men, they've got tents to put up, they've got hospitals to put up because they're expecting a fight. And so, so this drove this tribe crazy and uh, uh he says there that, that, that you know at night that, you know they got there during the day, and then at night they set up, and I think they all dug holes, and then they had fires. And he says, "Our fires twinkling in a wide uh, quadrilateral um, uh, through the night, offered a target too tempting for the human nature." Um, as developed on the Indian frontier to resist. So so the Mammon's, they had so much human nature. Uh, they did not want these people in their land. They didn't want the British there. They didn't like the whole, you know, uh, all these troops coming in and all the horses and the monkeys, not the monkeys, the, the donkeys. And uh, you, you're going to see why in a few minutes why I slipped into monkeys there. But uh, anyway... He said it was just too tempting for them. So essentially what, everyone's trying to rest. They all have their fire going. And the the Mammon's really like rifles. And they were practicing on the troop as they're trying to eat because they can see the campfires. So uh, he says, uh, sniping by individuals was inevitable and began after dark upon the camp of our leading brigade. Now, no great harm was done he said a few men were wounded <laughs> so so at least no one died but there's a few men wounded it does get worse by the way it says sir Brendan blood continued his dinner impassively although at one moment we had to put out the candles <laughs> they're shooting at the at the the head of the the troops here and he has got i mean this is so this is so british you know he's out <laughs> you know on a military expedition He's got to have his table. He's got to have his silverware. He's got to have his crystal. I'm sure he's got his, his uh, wine. And then he has candles on the table. And the, 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 uh, the, the human nature, full of human nature, and mammals are shooting his <laughs> candles out, basically. But he said, uh, uh, you know, a few other people were wounded, but in blood, he just continued eating. And then the only thing they had to do bad was to put the candles out. So he says, in the morning, overlooking the Mammon impudence, we marched on to Nawagi. Now, Nawagi is, is really interesting, and I think it, this is—the uh, reason I'm going to spend just a little bit of time with this is because of uh, what America went through uh, in the same area. And so, so Nawagi is a town— in it's it's uh, in the the Badger Agency of the federally administered tribal area of Pakistan, so it's interesting that here Winston Churchill is a young soldier. He's actually going to be fighting in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and of course, um, you know, from 2001 to 2021, America was at war with Afghanistan, and then. Somebody pulled out and left everything there, and it was is crazy event for America. So, so as we're reading this, um, you know, we can think about what happened with America at the same time. So so a- a- anyway, um, the, they were there on their way into Pakistan and Afghanistan. And it says, but the tribesmen were now excited. So he's talking about the Mammon's. And he said, uh, and when, when our 2nd Brigade, which was following a 2 days' interval, arrived, hundreds of men armed with every kind of weapon from the oldest flintlock to the latest rifle spent three exhilarating hours firing continuously into the crowded array of men and animals. So, so the, the, this uh, tribe, the Mammon, they weren't only uh, firing at the troops at night. They're firing at, at, during the day. And they're they're uh, they're really attacking them, and they're they 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 love their guns, they love their rifles, and they're shooting animals, they're shooting men, and and uh, you know they're they're really in a war that that uh, it, it was a horrible thing. It says the great bulk of the troops had already dug themselves shallow pits, and the whole camp had been surrounded with a shelter trench. Nevertheless, this night's sport cost them about forty officers. And men, so here, you know, they, they get first get there, and no one's killed. Uh, they just had to put out Sir Bindenblood's candles. But now, the next morning, you have over 40, 40 officers and of men, many horses and pack animals besides. So so that they 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 walked right into a war. On this being reported, then Sir Bindin Blood sent out orders to retaliate. And and uh, again, Serbindin Blood is is really a great a great warrior, and and essentially he said, okay, we got to get this tribe under control, and so he's going to retaliate. Says General Jeffries, commanding the second brigade, was told to enter the Mammoth Valley on the following day, and chastise the truculent assailants. The chastisement was to take the form of marching up their valley, which is a cul-de-sac to its extreme point, destroying all the crops, breaking the reservoirs of water, blowing up as many castles as time permitted, and that was the houses, shooting anyone who obstructed the process. If you want to see a fight, said Sir Bindon to me, you may ride back and join Jeffreys. So if you remember the last time, you know, Winston was so sad because they, you know, these political officers wouldn't let them fight, and he said, you know the Paytons wanted to fight with them. And they wanted to fight with the Paytons, and and uh, he said, you know, it was just frustrating. They couldn't kill each other, <laughs> and so, so now, and the title of this program is Winston Gets His Wish. And so Sir Bendon Blood says, hey, you wanna you wanna fight? Okay, go ahead back. Meet with Jeffries, and uh, and and you're gonna get your wish. And so he does it. He says. Uh, you know, Churchill just says, uh, So availing myself of an escort of Bengal Lancers, which was returning to the 2nd Brigade, I picked up my, my way gingerly through the 10 miles of the broken ground which divided the two camps and arrived at Jeffrey's headquarters before nightfall. So so he's really getting excited. He says, But all night long the bullets flew across the camp. Everyone now had good holes to lie in, and the horses and the mules were protected to a large extent. At the earliest dawn on September 16th, our whole brigade, preceded by a squadron of Bengal Lancers, marched in warlike formation into the Malmud Valley and was soon widely spread over its extensive area. There were three separate detachments, each was had its own punitive mission to fulfill. As these diverged fan-wise and as our total number did not exceed 1,200 fighting men, we were all soon reduced to quite small parties. I attached myself to the center column whose mission it was to proceed to the farthest end of the valley. And I began by riding with the cavalry. And so so what they soon learned is that the Malmuns were actually really ready for war, more ready than they were. He says, we got to the head of the valley without a shot being fired. The villages and the plain were equally deserted. As soon as we approached the mountain wall, our field glasses showed us clusters of tiny figures gathered on a conical hill. From these little blobs, the sun threw back at intervals, bright flashes of steel, as if the tribesmen waved their swords. This sight gave everyone the greatest pleasure, and our leading troops trotted and cantered forward to the small grove of trees which stood within the rifle shot of the conical hill." Here we dismounted perhaps 15 carbines in all, opened fire at 700 yards range. Instantly the whole hill became spotted with white puffs of smoke and the bullets began to whistle through our little grove. So this is, this is just to show you, and I think what Winston wants us to understand is the mammons were prepared for them. And so they were already hiding up in the hills. And it's, it's like the, uh, uh, the Star Wars movie uh, with the, the little bears, I call them. <laughs> or the yip, 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 you know. So, so But they had these horrible swords as well. And uh, he goes on to say, he says, this enjoyable skirmish. <laughs> now that sounds like a young guy. A young soldier, this is enjoyable. He says, this enjoyable skirmish cracked, crackled away for nearly an hour. And meanwhile, the infantry toiled nearer and nearer to us across the plain. When they arrived, it was settled that the leading company of the 35th Sikhs should attack the conical hill and two more companies should proceed up a long spur to the left towards a village whose roofs could be seen amid the boulders and waving Indian corn of the mountainside. The cavalry, meanwhile, would guard the plain and keep connection with the reserve of our force under the brigadier, which now consisted mainly of the Buffs. And the Buffs, uh, you have to understand, that's the East Kent Regiment. But they were, had a nickname called the Buffs. Now, notice Winston. He's, hes Remember now, he's a young soldier. He thinks he knows a lot. He says, I decided to go with the second party up the long spur towards the village. I gave my pony to a native uh, uh, and began to toil up the hillside with the infantry. It was frightfully hot. The sun, nearing the meridian, beat upon one's shoulders. We plodded and stumbled upwards for nearly an hour now through high patches of Indian corn, now over boulders, now along stony rocks, over bare slopes, but always mounting. A few shots were fired from higher up the mountain, but otherwise complete peace seemed to reign. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> it wasn't peace at all. <laughs> they were prepared. As spread out behind us and pausing to mop up my brow, I sat on a rock and surveyed it. It was already 11 o'clock. The first thing that struck me was that there was no troops to be seen. About halfway up from the foot of the spur a few of the lancers were, dis, were dismounted so there was supposed to be a big army backing them up and it wasn't there and so so uh, but remember now he calls it the enjoyable skirmish and so he goes he asked the big question where was our army they had marched out 1200 strong only a few hours ago and now the valley had swallowed them up i took out my glasses and searched the plain Mud villages and castles here and there, the deep cut watercourses, the gleam of reservoirs, occasional belts of cultivation, isolated grove of trees, all in a sparkling atmosphere backed up by serrated cliffs, but of a British Indian brigade, no sign. Where are they? You know, and, uh, uh, essentially they're in big trouble. He goes on, he said, it occurred to me for the first time that we were a very small party five British officers, including myself, and probably 85 Sikhs. This was absolutely all. And here we were at the very head of the redoubtable Mahmud Valley. Now, the, uh, the the thing is, remember on the previous page, that was page 138 where he says, this was an enjoyable skirmish. Now, he's saying they're in the redoubtable Mahmud Valley. And redoubtable means causing fear or alarm, <laughs> so uh, they're afraid right now. There's uh, It's not going the way it was all planned. He says, I was fresh enough from Sandhurst to remember the warnings about dispersion of forces, and certainly it seemed that the contrast between the precautions which our strong force had taken moving out of camp in the morning and the present position of our handful of men was remarkable. And what he's saying is, whose idea was this? (laughs) This is not what I learned at Sandhurst. He says, however, like most young fools, I was looking for trouble and only hoped that something exciting would happen. And he goes on to say, two-word sentence, it did. (laughs) He wanted something (laughs) exciting, and he said, it did. At last we reached the few mud houses of the village, Like all the others, it was deserted. It stood at the head of the spur and was linked to the mass of mountains by a broad neck. I lay down with an officer and eight Sikhs on the side of the village towards the mountain, while the remainder of the company rummaged about the mud houses or sat down and rested behind them. So again, the people of the Mahmud Valley—they were ready for them—and they got out of their houses and their hiding somewhere. So a quarter of an hour passed and nothing happened. Then the captain of the company arrived. We are going to withdraw, he said to the subaltern. You stay here and cover our retirement till we take up a fresh position on that knoll below the village. He added, the buffs, or uh, that's the Kent East Kent Regiment, don't seem to be coming up, and the colonel thinks we are rather in the air here. And so he's saying, look, this is not a good situation. And, of course, uh, Winston confirms it here in just a minute. He said, it struck me, this was sound observation. (laughs) Get out of town. He said, we waited another 10 minutes. Meanwhile, I presumed, for I could not see them, the main body of the company was retiring from the village towards the lower knoll. Suddenly, the mountainside sprang to life. Swords flashed from behind rocks. Bright flags waved here and there. A dozen widely scattered white smoke puffs broke from the rugged face in front of us. Loud explosions resounded close at hand from high up on the crag, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 feet above us. White or blue figures appeared, dropping down the mountainside from ledge to edge like monkeys down the branches of a tall tree. And so so that's where I got the word monkeys from. It was in my brain from getting ready for today. But you can just see, um, uh, I, I think it was the Jungle Book. And all the monkeys in the Jungle Book cartoon. That's what I was thinking of, was that, you know, just seeing him jump down. He said, a shrill crying arose from the many points. Yee, yee, bang, bang, bang. That reminds me of Star Wars. All right. <laughs> the whole hillside began to be spotted with smoke, and tiny figures descended every moment nearer towards us. Our eight Sikhs opened an independent fire, which soon became more and more rapid. The hostile figures continued to flow down the mountainside, and scores began to gather in rocks about a hundred yards away from us. The targets were too tempting to be resisted. I borrowed the martini of the Sikh by whom I lay. So, So no one's actually hurt here. They're just laying on the ground. He was quite content to hand me the cartridges. I began to shoot carefully at the men gathering in the rocks. A lot of bullets whistled about us, but we lay very flat, and no harm was done. This lasted perhaps five minutes in continuous crescendo. We certainly found the adventure for which we had been looking. Then, an English voice close behind, it was the battalion adjutant. Come on back now. There is no time to lose. We can cover you from the knoll. So, so one of the adjuncts realizes we're in big trouble. we got to get out of here. we got to back up. He said the Sikh, whose rival I had borrowed, had put eight or ten cartridges on the ground beside me. It was a standing rule to let no ammunition fall into the hands of the tribesmen. The Sikh seemed rather excited, so I handed him the cartridges, one after the other, to put in his pouch. This was a lucky inspiration. The rest of our party got up and turned to retreat. There was a ragged volley from the rocks, shouts of exclamations and a scream. I thought for the moment that the five or six of our men had lain down again. So they had, two were killed and three were wounded. So so the little yip-yips pretty much knew how to fight. And uh, he said, um, one man was shot through the breast and pouring with blood. Another lay on his back, kicking and twisting. The British officer was spinning around just behind me. His face was a mass of blood. His right eye cut out. Yes, it was certainly an adventure. <laughs> so, so he got what he wanted, but then he kind of realized, maybe I don't want this kind of adventure. So he goes on to say, though, and, and again, he's a military man, and, and you can see that, that for all of us that know what Winston Churchill did during World War I and World War II, he was really trained for that, for that job. But he goes on to say, it is a point of honor on the Indian frontier not to leave wounded men behind. Death by inches and hideous mutilations are the invariable measure meted out to all who fall in battle in the hands of the Pathan tribesmen. Back came the adjutant with another British officer of subaltern rank, a Sikh sergeant major, and two or three soldiers. We laid hands on the wounded and began to carry and drag them away down the hill. And so, so if you think about recently just what happened in, you know, Jerusalem, and it's it, uh, it it's the same kind of thing happened in Jerusalem is that that when the you know when, when Hamas came through there they savagely maimed people cut the heads off they you know they beheaded them they cut legs off you know they put babies in ovens and cooked them and so so i mean that that is that is the depth of human nature the ugly depth of human nature. So here they're pretty near Pakistan and Afghanistan, and this is what they're experiencing. He said, um, We all laid hands on the wounded and began to carry and drag them away down the hill. We got through the few houses, 10 or 12 men carrying four, and emerged upon a bare strip of ground. Here stood the captain commanding the company with a half dozen men. Beyond and below, 150 yards was the knoll on which the supporting party should have been posted. No sign of them. So you see, Winston really is a trained soldier. He's saying, look, there should have been a post up there. Perhaps it was the knoll lower down. We hustled the wounded along regardless of their protest. We had no rear guard of any kind. All were carrying the wounded. I was sure that worse was close at our heels. We were not halfway across the open space when 20 or 30 furious figures appeared among the horses, firing frantically or waving their swords. So so this is a situation, again, it, it, that you know they may have thought it was an enjoyable skirmish, but it turned out to be real treachery. It was really bad. He said, I can only follow by fragments what happened after that. One of the two sinks helped to carry my wounded man was shot through the calf. He shouted with pain. His turban fell off. His long black hair streamed over his shoulders like a tragic gollywog. Now, what a gollywog is just like a, uh, a rag doll. So this guy's been really hurt, and he looks like he's like a rag doll. They have to carry him. Two of our men came from below and seized a hold of our man. The new subaltern and I got the gollywog by the collar and dragged him along the ground. Luckily, it was all downhill. Apparently, we heard him so much on the sharp rocks that he asked to be let go alone. He hopped and crawled and staggered and stumbled but made a good pace. Thus he escaped. I looked around to my left. The adjutant had been shot. Four of his soldiers were carrying him. He was a heavy man and they all clutched at him and out from the edge of the houses rushed a half-dozen Pathan swordsmen. The bearers of the poor adjutant let him fall and fled their approach. The leading tribesmen rushed upon the prostrate figure and slashed it three or four times with his sword. I forgot everything else at this moment except a desire to kill the man. I wore my long cavalry sword well sharpened, and after all I had won a public school fencing medal, I resolved on personal combat. The savage saw me coming— I was not more than 20 yards away. He picked up the big stone and hurled at me with his left hand. All right. That's really exciting stuff. And guess what? That's all the time I have for today's program. So, on our next program, we'll finish chapter 11 on the Mamund Valley. And we'll begin chapter 12 titled The Tira Expedition. So, remember... You can buy My Early Life at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you also may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And of course, don't forget your local library. So please write me. Now, any comments you may have to jbl.pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. And so until next time...